0: Welcome to Be Customer Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill (laughs) Stakos. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another week of Be Customer Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. another special guest for you this week. I want to introduce you to Katie Schlote. She's a partner with the IA Collaborative, and she's leading the world's most progressive brands through user-driven design methodologies for product service and brand innovation. Now, collaboratively developing impactful strategies that lead to creative and game changing business solutions for companies. Now, she's worked with some major brands, Federal Express, HP, GE, Avi SC Johnson, Samsung, Best Buy, the list goes on and on. And we are talking today about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Today's conversation is really about inclusive design and bringing women's perspective into design. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely, thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: I'm excited to be here and to dig into this topic. I know, this is so, I'm like, I cannot wait. So first question I ask every one of our guests, just tell us about your journey. It's got some great twists and turns. Like you've been on the PR side, you've been on the communication side, clearly user-centered design runs through a lot of those disciplines, but you're practicing that much more heavily. Like how has that given you, you one, your journey, but then even if you think about the perspective that's given you in in your work with I.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think obviously, there's not a linear path. And I think for a lot of us, I'm sure yourself included, there's no degrees, no specializations when we were going through university. So it has a a mix of experiences that are, are brought into it. So I graduated with a journalism degree. And there are two paths in the old school way of thinking about journalism. There was reporter, anchor, writer, or you went PR and communication, and it turns out that uh, a professor told me told me that my my headline writing was way too creative. So I said, okay, well, I guess that I guess that's not in the cards for me. So I went the PR route, and my first position was at a pretty large global PR firm in Chicago. I did consumer goods, so everything from children's educational toys to cleaning supplies, and at the time honestly, there were only so many tactics you could leverage in PR. Blogs were just becoming a thing. Social media was only Facebook at the time. And the digital, it's nuts. I mean, I'm really I'm really aging myself here, but the digital landscape didn't involve smartphones. So there were only so many things you could do to garner excitement and press and communicate about your clients' products. But I remember kind of that aha moment, and this was going to be I just knew it was going to be a moment that was going to change the trajectory of of my career. And we had this new product, this client that I was working with at the time, and it was a flameless candle product. Okay. I was pitching the media contacts. I'm calling my my contacts at USA Today. I'm calling my contacts at Good Housekeeping. And they're saying, no go. This is not a thing. Not a thing I think our readers would want. And so... Everyone in the office is like, let's hold a brainstorm. So we held a brainstorm trying to get creative. How could we pitch this differently? And our clients kind of quote unquote, winning idea was just take the center part of this candle, the most innovative part, the IP that they were really trying to tout and make it a pencil holder. And I wanted to just stand up and immediately walk out. I, I didn't want to compromise the integrity of the product that the client wanted us to pitch. So I said, what am I even doing here? What, what am I doing? So I decided kind of right then and there that I wanted to be on the other side of product and service creation, not promotion. I wanted to design products, design services that people actually wanted and needed, opposed to trying to push things on people that wasn't even interesting or needed by them. And I'm sure we've, I'm sure you've had that aha moment.
0: <laughs> I, I had it when I was 26. Uh-huh. I read Joe Pine's book, The Experience Economy, and I quit my job in investment thinking and got into customer experience. Seminal book, in this space, and just my boss looked at me like I had three heads, but I was like, I got to go do this. This is what I want to do. This is my life calling.
1: Right. Absolutely. I had that same experience with my parents when I said, I'm going to go work at this company called I Collaborative. And I distinctly remember them saying, well, what about your, if this is a stable global company with 401k and you're going to go where and your job is going to be to do what? So moving from PR and communications into this space that wasn't really well known 14 years ago when I joined the IA as an independent design innovation consultancy, none of those words anyone could comprehend, let alone all of them together. And so (laughs) trying to explain my new job, my new calling is gonna be using human-centered research and insights to really help clients make the right decisions on their products, on their services, on what people want and need. So 180 degree flip from PR, so that's where I've been. That's what I've been doing for the last 14 years.
0: Awesome story. So tell us a little bit about the collaborative, right? Every guest I've got to do like NSA level research on everybody, right? And, yeah. You know, so i am not been <laughs> yeah. through your trash or anything or into your home location to work. But that being said, like really interesting organization doing some pretty cool work. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there, how you're doing it, how you're working with clients.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So IA is, as I had mentioned, a design and innovation consultancy. So the way I think about it is we help companies grow, but we do that through a combination of design thinking and business strategy. So it's merging creative, iterative, iterative agile way of thinking and working, which is what designers like us have used for decades with that analytical financial rigor of the traditional business strategy. And I kind of break that down into three buckets, when we think about how we help our clients and our clients range from Fortune 500, 100 companies who are legacy leaders to category disruptors. So it's a little bit of, of everyone that, that we're serving. but. The first category I think of is helping clients find new growth. So identifying new and emerging places for companies to play. So that could be white space for them to grab based on shifting technology or emerging behaviors or an untapped market, maybe that they that they didn't see. Uh the second category that I that we that we really carve out is creating new offerings. So this is more around building, prototyping, uh, testing all of these new innovations. And that could be everything from physical and digital products to say new business models or new services or new experiences. And the power, those first two, I think when you combine those, we're doing things like in the logistics space, designing, the societal acceptance strategy and experience design for autonomous bots never thought those words would come come out of my mouth or in the industrial space launching new air quality software platforms that promote not just the building but healthy buildings so big meaty exciting topic areas that really dig into what what can help companies grow and and that third area which i think is really critical right now is helping your clients really nurture and empower that culture of innovation within their own organizations so we do this day in and day out but our clients want to replicate they want to create those experiences in-house so how can we help them work more iteratively collaboratively really Cross-functionally, like we do, so we have a whole skew of teams that work together: business strategists, researchers, UX designers, UI designers, architects, technologists, and and they really kind of bring these three three parts to life.
0: So cool. So I've got a. So I'm a curious kid, right? Um, of course. I'm just wired that way, but just before I I've got a question. That now we're gonna. I want to really get into this sort of the topic set. But yeah, of course. I've got to know, Katie, which part of which one of those three, or maybe which part of the the innovation process that you guys go through and the work process you guys go through, like which one do you get on? What's your favorite?
1: Oh my goodness. It's so hard to choose. It's like choosing your favorite child. No, it's okay. It's okay. So I think if I had to, the, the area of creating new offerings For me is so intriguing. I I never thought again, like I'd said that I would say the word autonomous bots or that I would be saying words and thinking about the ways that humans and technology interact. So thinking about new areas of opportunity, prototyping, building, failing multiple times throughout that process, but teaching your clients that that's the way that we're going to iterate to, to really build something that the people they're trying to serve need
0: opposed to creating something that they think
1: they're going to serve their customers for
0: i love that love that answer and love and if we don't know each other so well we've had a right interaction but yeah if i had to guess that probably would have been my guess so all right so let's talk about inclusive design so absolutely this is an insanely important topic in fact we cannot be talking about this enough yeah you you and I collaborative have done something really interesting. And one of the reasons why we've connected um, on the show, you all have created a capability focused on designing for women specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Sure. I feel
1: like just to make sure we have a good level set, maybe I'll talk about inclusive design, kind of what it is, why it's important. Right. Because I think people have a theory, right, in the industry of why it's important. But I think it's good to go back to kind of what it is and better understand that. And then of course, I'm going to dig into everything designed for women. Um, so you're right. It it is a rising need. People need to be aware of it, educated about it, understand how to incorporate what people might hear as responsible design practices or inclusive design practices. And I think one of the things is talking about what it is. So. The way that I think about inclusive design and and the broader definition is specifying products and services for as many people and as situations as possible, while you reduce kind of that ability or level of ability that's required by each of those people. So this is the way I think about it. Uh, Rather than using kind of that common average user, inclusive designers really extend those possible use cases to the widest variety of people. And, and I think that's really important because unfortunately, where we're at is that culture kind of really assumes that a few can represent all, and that leaves a lot of people unserved. So when you're designing for and marketing to the same homogeneous demographics time and time again, with those same kind of tired assumptions about their needs, you're missing huge opportunities for equity and for innovation. So at the crux of it, if anyone takes away anything about what is inclusive design or why do we need it, it's because we need to think about inclusive design because by not including, we're inherently choosing to exclude. And that's really hard to take on. It's No one starts designing saying, well, I'm definitely excluding women. Or I'm, that's not the point, but the point is that if you don't focus on it, you're going to miss out on that opportunity to really design
0: with those people and for those people. So fast forward to what you guys have done. Now, have you, this is where you're focused now. I want to talk a little bit about, so you mentioned something that kind of a trigger for me. Sure. Part of the next, next question is. No one goes out and purposely says, "I'm going to design excluding women," as an example. Right. And I think that that is true. No one goes and says, "I'm going to do something bad." Right. Right. But right. I, I came across and I shared this with you. I came across yeah. that, that, frankly, just blew me. I mean, blew me away. And I don't mean to pick on anyone in the automotive industry, one no. people, etc. Cars, interestingly, are designed with a default male approach. Correct. By doing so, and this is a really scary statistic, as not only as a f- husband, but also as a f- girl dad as well, yeah. women are approximately or about 50% more likely to suffer serious injuries in an accident. So mm-hmm. my question to you, Katie, is mm-hmm. it's 2022. This is not like a kind of a curse show, but like how the F <laughs> industry <laughs> missed this stuff now and like still design without or... Or still go at things without an inclusive design kind of perspective going in and asking themselves the questions that they should be asking
1: yeah absolutely why haven't we fixed it? it it seems simple but i i appreciate that stat and i think it's helpful to pull in where it comes from so i my guess is that it's pulled in from the book invisible women which is written in by carolyn credo perez and this is an amazing book it's a book that is brought together through case study stories research research statistics but the main focus of it is to highlight the hidden ways in which women are excluded from kind of the building blocks that we live in today which is data and so they go through medical research technical workplace the the one that you're talking about is is automotive and to break it down, kind of how she does in the book, just to give a couple of rationales to like, why is this still happening? There's a couple of different reasons in the automotive example. One is how women are positioned in the cars. So they're not designing for that. Women actually sit further towards the steering wheel because they, they have to reach those pedals. And then they also sit more upright so they can see over the steering wheel. But when car manufacturers are making cars, that isn't the standard position. So women are out of position drivers, number one. Then you add in the layer of women's anatomy. So what's happening is that women have less muscle in our necks and our upper torso than men. So that makes us much more vulnerable to whiplash. And the way that the automotive industry today is Creating seats or designing seats has actually amplified this, this vulnerability because they're harder. So when women are going forward and backward in an accident, they don't, no, they don't have anything to brace their impact. So you've got two things that are now working against in general, which again, if you leveraged inclusive design practices, you would know and be able to see. But there's a, a third challenge to that in that the way that they're testing and considering cars is through car car crash dummies. You see it all the time on commercials, right? That is exactly right. So in 20, it wasn't until 2011 where the automotive industry said, well, maybe we should make female car crash dummies. The problem is that how female they really are is it's not, they're just scaled down versions of men. So all of these things together are creating challenges in how that's being designed. And this is this is pervasive. It is not just the automotive industry. It's healthcare. It's uh, technology. And there's so many examples and so many ways in which that's shocking, but these are things we accept as facts. We accept these as a foundation. And then these become kind of those pillars of ma- of measurement almost that we hold all these systems upon. So we as leaders in this industry have to kind of hold ourselves accountable to deconstruct those pieces and figure out what data are we building on? How are we researching? Who are we researching? Because all of those components are incredibly important parts of, of inclusively
0: designing for people. And do you see, Katie, like any specific, well, it's industries or whatever that might, or products yeah. where the, there's, there's just a generally better understanding or bigger movement or organizations want to have an impact around designing for and with women, by the way, not let's not just forget that. Like it's one thing to design, like design is is a collaborative process, but where do you see this happening most?
1: In a good sense. I mean, there are bright spots, right? I think as, as innovators, we have to look for those bright spots and those areas of opportunity, places where we can almost turn those pain points into progress, and I I do see that there's a couple of sectors that even in the last couple of years have really produced some amazing products, services, and kind of advanced that thinking. One is in the financial sector, right? A focus there's a huge lack of focus on women, and they're very underserved, and they're generally not educated within, say, the investment space. And so we've seen companies like Elevest which has popped up in the last couple of years, which is a woman-owned company focused on financial investing for women. And more recently, they extended that into personal banking and membership models. So I can only imagine that the need is there in in the financial sector. I think there's two other areas which are really interesting as well is sports. So within the last, let's say, two years, uh, Nike launched uh, maternity wear or maternity gear, which is seen as incredibly unique within women's clothing, but it shouldn't be, honestly, because given it's important for women to move throughout their pregnancies, we shouldn't have to wear clothes that don't fit for our bodies. And even two days ago, Nike made the announcement that they are investing in the WNBA as equity partners. And so you see the movements happening, even within brands that are so big that can really influence and change. And I think the last area I would mention, is just women's health in general. There's companies like P&G and others that are focused in creating new opportunities. So Kindra is a company that I believe was launched about two years ago or three years ago. And they're the first company that's come from this partnership between M13 and P&G's venture group. And it's it's amazing. They're supporting women and providing products and services throughout menopause, which no one talks about
0: yeah no taboo, one almost taboo, right?
1: absolutely and yet every woman is going to go through that experience so who is serving them so all of these companies starting to make this change it's it's this snowball effect and it's been amazing to see but obviously we have a very long a long way to go
0: so in in, in light of that katie where do you think Some of those big gaps are not, don't call anybody out specifically, but maybe like if you can generalize a little bit, I know that you work with a lot of different companies and clearly a lot of different organizations need help in inclusive design. But like, where do you see like some of the biggest gaps where you even yourself as a consumer have been, whether it's in the driver's seat or buying a product and you're just like, this company really needs my help. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I feel like that's every day. As, a, as an innovator, you can't help but see those areas where there's gaps, but you also see huge opportunity. So that growth mindset helps you to kind of think through it. So I, of course, will not call, call out any companies. This isn't the name of the game in inclusive design, but I think there's an emerging space when we look at tech. And so I'll call out kind of tech in general, specifically in the emerging spaces of AI, machine learning, tech ethics, it's even more of like this wild west environment and you need inclusive design in those environments ever more than before. It's such a rich opportunity. But I think there was this, I I can't remember where I read this in an article, but I loved this statement. It was AI systems are biased because they are human creations. And it's so incredibly true at a more granular level. You think about humans are the ones who are generating, collecting, labeling data that goes into these data sets. And then you've got humans determining what data sets, variables, rules, algorithms should be created. But both of these stages can in, can really introduce biases in terms of what's going to go into that technology. So one of one of the, the examples that you hear a lot about right now is in facial recognition. And I always think about data when we were talking about the automotive industry, right? It's garbage in, garbage out, right? So the outcomes are only going to be as good as the data that you're putting in. So for facial recognition, there's a study done where women are just not being recognized in these technologies. Black women, far, far less. Well, why? because the inputs were based on white male faces. So the, the data that comes in really needs to be considered. And I think there's ways to improve that. It is not gloom and doom in these industries. It is so much opportunity to be had. So thinking about who are you bringing in to capture the data, who are on the teams, we know that, that in STEM, there are far less women, but that doesn't need to be the case. So your team composition, how you're creating data, I think AI, machine learning, there's huge opportunity there.
0: So let's talk a little bit about one of the things that I hope listeners value in this show, Katie, is that mm-hmm. we take topics and we double click a little bit. And and I get feedback, which is great to hear like, hey, I took this idea and I put it into my own work. Yeah, Tell us or share with us some of the best practices you're seeing out there you're bring you're bringing in to your work through with IA collect collaborative excuse me. Mm-hmm. Like talk to us a little bit about some of those best practices in inclusive design that people can take away and start to explore, test, learn in their own data day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the core tenets of thinking about inclusive design people get really overwhelmed it's where do i start i want to do the right thing i don't want to say the wrong thing but my my overall mantra and maybe it's because i'm an innovator and i'm i'm okay to take risks and learn from them and fail is that i tell everyone to start by starting don't worry about where you're starting from. It might be beginner viewpoint. It might be at zero. That's okay. But I think you have to get beyond your comfort of not knowing or deeply understanding every nuance of inclusive design and I, I'm not an expert. I'm learning as I go as well. So we held when we first kick, kick started Design for Women as a capability at IA, we held a series of roundtable discussions, and we invited leaders from across Fortune 100 companies on this topic of design for women specifically, and what can we be doing in our work. So I thought, great, we'll have three or four people that will be interested. It turned out there were forty some people. It's amazing. It was incredible. Companies like Google, Nike, Airbnb, Johnson and Johnson, ServiceNow, USAA, diverse, diverse companies. But what we, what I found really fascinating is we held these really vulnerable conversations to say, what are we learning? What are we concerned about as leaders in this industry? If you're a researcher, a designer, an executive, and there were a couple pieces that really popped out to me that I found. That are they're so simple. It doesn't have to be a huge initiative. There are small tweaks you can make to your process. So to get to get to your question, one of the things we talked about in those roundtable discussions was opening the scope in the broadest sense, how do you rethink your target audience? And a couple members had really rich stories. I I won't go through all of them, but one was talking about how can how can we watch for inherent defaults? So many times, let's say within the cosmetic industry, they're very much saying, okay, well, our target's women 18 to 30. Simple enough. However, people turn 35 and 40 and 50 50, 50, At 60. And guess what? The more solidified they are in those age groups, the more disposable incomes they have to be able to spend money. So we talked about opening the aperture in the targets that you're looking at using stretch personas, thinking about not just those defaults that you might always be going to. Another area that was really interesting from a design perspective was to reevaluate the cues that you're using, be it in your digital experiences, your service experiences. And someone in finance brought up this really great example when they were looking at their icon library. And she said, we use a wallet icon. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I, okay. And what was interesting about that was that it's a default way that men carry money. Why isn't it a purse? Well, no one, I mean, all of these things are things we can very simply evaluate, right? In our design process. So those are just a couple. And then I think another area or recommendation is to use existing tools. And materials, you do not have to make everything from scratch. Microsoft has an amazing inclusive design toolkit that you can pick up and use. Google Design Materials also continues to innovate. So I think thinking of all of these areas of opportunity, use those as small pieces within your within your purview to be able to influence the work that you're doing on the daily.
0: Okay, in a couple of weeks' time, um, yes. actually when we air this, it'll it'll just be around this time. Yeah. International Women's Day is on March eighth of this year. Yeah. The theme this year is Break the Bias, which is pretty cool. We've been talking about mm. I mean, even your point around sort of AI and machine learning, just the bias inherent in that. What would you tell people about how to celebrate on March eighth?
1: Oh. There's no there's no bad way to celebrate that. So I know that. <laughs> No, I
0: know, I know. How are you? How and are, how are maybe, are, do you guys have something planned? Does I have something planned, kind of doing the work that you're doing? Or how are you thinking about so?
1: Yeah. I think for me the most important thing is being able to help companies democratize the learnings that we've had around designing for women. So every time we hold a round table or every time we learn new learnings, we democratize that information so you can go to our website and continue to look up great tips and tricks. Also create starting to create a community. I think it's really important there if you go and search inclusive design or you you search design for women, you're not gonna come up with a lot of search hits. So I think it's really important to start building communities. So we've we've been doing that. I also think it's incredibly important if you're an executive, I always have kind of like, what are my top two projects that I would tell kind of every executive to, to harness this year? And if March 8th is my platform, I will take that as the platform. But what, if from one perspective, I think as an executive, how are you addressing women as customers, as part of your ecosystem? Are you? Adelman puts out this awesome trust barometer uh, set, of, set of learnings every year. And Gen Z reported in there that gender equality is one of the top four causes that they expect big brands to address. So if you're an executive and you're not addressing that now, it's pretty important to start thinking about it. And it's not shrink it or pink it, right? It's not taking what you do and not making it pink. It's one of those things that you really need to understand how you're including women in that process. So number one, executives, are you addressing women as customers? Are you addressing them in the process and designing for them? I think the second area of focus as we celebrate that day is how are you integrating your products or solutions to solve bigger, more systemic challenges that are facing women. Imagine you're a tech company and you have many, many, many products in your portfolio, but each has an owner. Each is siloed. I'm sure you experience this when you work with companies. However, what if you thought about it differently? As an executive, you flipped that on its head and you said, we could leverage an integrated technology solution to solve a bigger problem for women. So for example, if you're Google you took your calendar, search, conversational solutions, and you created something to help women quantify the hours of invisible labor that they do each day. We have tools to help us visualize and understand our finances. Why not take those tools of the stuff of life so that we can divide that up equitably? So I just challenge everyone to think a little bit differently about who you're focusing on and how you're using your solutions currently to think differently about those challenges.
0: I'm going to take that advice, Katie, and make sure <laughs> we, I make a point of it um, in my household as well as um, professionally. There I you go. love the idea, by the way, about not just sort of how much time you're spending in meetings or free time, but my wife and I, we've got a shared Google Calendar. Everything goes on it, even even like my work meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but plus, like that would be really incredible to understand and see, Like, am I being a good partner and taking on an equitable distribution of of those responsibilities. Like we need to be thinking that. Someone gave me really good advice about how to be a great ally, and they Mm -hmm. said start in your home. And and if you can do that in your home and make that part of your day-to-day there, that's gonna spill over into the workplace. Um, So for my friendly allies out there, start in the house. This has been a really inspirational conversation. I've got two more questions. Absolutely. Or who do you think rather, who do you look up to in your specific area of expertise in why?
1: Yes. I would say Annie Eugene Baptiste is the head of product and inclusion and equity at Google. It sounds like I'm saying Google five times, but there's so there's so much to... mm -hmm, They are doing a lot. She's written a book about it, and it talks about these 12 um, dimensions of diversity and thinking about how you create inclusively products and services. And I think she's a trailblazer and someone that definitely has a lot of resources. Another, if you go a little bit deeper into more specific areas of inclusion. An area I'm incredibly passionate about is caregiving. And as part of that sandwich generation, unfortunately, I found myself there. There are amazing people doing work in that space. Obviously, there are bills waiting to be passed, but Ajin Poo is the co-director of Caring Across Generations, and she's created a national coalition of about 200 advocacy organizations that are really working to transform long-term care, caregiving. And I think that area alone is ripe for innovation and ripe for support. And so watching anything that those two women do is incredibly inspirational.
0: Very cool. On that word of inspiration, where do you go for inspiration?
1: Man, I, I'm pretty sure I should say I get up at like 5 a.m., I meditate, I read 30 pages, whatever, but I don't. I don't. I would say, and I think you can see behind me, but a creative outlet is really important for me. So I find time to express in painting. I found during the pandemic, as we've been on Zoom, I'm co creating with my colleagues on the artwork in my background, which has been really fun. Uh, I also block time to write, just do reflective writing, which I publish content on LinkedIn, and I've re- recently started a Substack, which is just a great outlet. Uh, I think two other areas. One, I think that creative creativity kind of extends uh, a little bit into the kitchen. I make a mean charcuterie platter. Yes, I am from Wisconsin. You cannot shake the cheese out of a Wisconsin girl. So I love doing that. But honestly, I think the best place to, to kind of stay inspired is just being with the people I love, which is so important right now. My mom one of the most inspiring people I know who has overcome chronic illness, her spirit, her light's contagious. And then my kids, they keep me inspired, constant bursts of creativity and resilience, which honestly, I, I really think we could all use right now. So, so those would be the, the areas definitely not, not, not in meditation, but that 5am wake up call would would be too early for me. I'm
0: not a 5am type person. I, okay. I, thank goodness. I, I, I get a lot of inspiration from my kids. My nine-year-old, um, I've started asking her questions about different products or things that, like, what is this going to be when your dad's age? Yeah. Almost like, we talk about this almost every night before she goes to bed now. The stuff that comes out of this child's brain, (laughs) off the charts, incredible. Every child would be the same. And I'm like, now I want to get like my seven-year-olds kind of perspective now and just kind of see how they start to differ. The little Mm. guy is a little bit too young for that, but nonetheless, like such a good question to ask your kids, I'm like, I could see that she's probably freaking right. Like I oh, popular,
1: so. absolutely! It's incredible. I mean, these younger kids are so incredible. I coach a um, incubator program in our local high school. Those classes are starting so much younger, and those opportunities are amazing. So yeah, I, these future generations are going to run circles around us. Be it with inclusive design, be it with their prowess and technology, it's it's exciting to see that light ahead.
0: Katie, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for being a part of this journey. You're still, by the way, and for our listeners, Katie is like guest of the year running right now because she came back with some great ideas about how to structure this show. And she's been magnificent every step of the way. So thank you for being that. Thanks for being a great guest. Thank you for dropping some serious knowledge on us uh, today. And I hope to have you on the show again sometime. we would love to if, if you're open to that.
1: Absolutely. We I think we only scratched the surface totally of agree. what you can do. So yeah, let's let's keep the conversation going.
0: Very cool. All right, everybody. Another great week. Talk to you soon, everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer-Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out.